You are listening to Go Full Crypto. I'm your host, Rogopshi Palway. This podcast is your best resource for crypto stories in the form of discussions and interviews. We uncomplexify tech jargon and we like to keep it simple. My co-host, Keegan Francis and I, we're here to empower you with the knowledge you need to confidently navigate your way into the world of crypto. Join us as we embark on the journey of driving the adoption of cryptocurrency. Join us in going full crypto. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. At no point in time should the topics of discussion be construed or taken as investment advice. Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and their guests on this podcast will not be held accountable for any losses. The content discussed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are intended to be for informational purposes only. Welcome to episode 13 of the GoFull Crypto Podcast. In this particular episode, we're going to talk about wallets. Now, there's very different kinds of wallets in the crypto industry, and they all have their own purpose. And we are going to explore all of them. But this particular topic deserves an episode to itself because it's an integral part of financial literacy or crypto literacy, to be more specific, as well as um, part of your crypto strategy. And we will dive deeper into that during the length of this episode. So let's begin. Yeah, I, I like how you mentioned that it's a it's an integral part of your crypto strategy as well as crypto literacy, because it really is. The kinds of wallets that you pick for yourself are really going to dictate the level of security that you get with your crypto funds. And I, I think that during this episode, we should make a lot of analogies back to bank accounts because that's what people are most familiar with, with respect to saving their money. As well as physical wallets as well, because there's a, an aspect of if you lose your physical wallet, then there's no retrieving it. There's, there's very little probability that someone's going to come and give you back your wallet with your wad of cash in it. Right. Also, that was the good old days. No one carries cash these days. <laughs> I know I don't. Yeah. And, and the other thing is that wallets can tend to be a bit of a technical topic in the crypto sphere. And because there's so many different kinds. Yeah. And, and because it doesn't invoke the, uh, the the notion or the concept of keys as well, public keys and private keys and That's just a technical term. cryptography in general. Yeah. And so we're going to do our best to make sure that we always relate these uh, technical terms back to something that people understand. Yeah. As best as we can. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a lot to cover and I'm not exactly sure where to start. So maybe we'll just start with wallets and, and the, the two different kinds of wallets. And the easiest way to think about the two different kinds is in terms of uh, temperatures. Uh, but it's, it's not exactly that. We have hot wallets and cold wallets. And hot wallets are connected to the Internet and cold wallets are not connected to the Internet. And there's various benefits. There's pros and cons to each. Yeah, let's actually just dive a little bit deeper into why these terms exist uh, in the way that they do. The reason why it's uh, why cold wallets are ones that are not connected to the internet is simply because cold storage is related to storing something for long periods of time. Um, think refrigerator and freezer and everything that belongs to that um, segment of storing and maintaining anything. And when it comes to hot wallets, just the term hot refers to something that is easily accessible, something that is ready, something that is at your fingertips. I like to think of it as on or off. So a cold wallet is offline and it's not connected to the internet and therefore 
it's really not vulnerable to attack because the machine that the wallet is sitting on is not actually connected to the internet. And yeah. a hot wallet is on, it's running. And so it's connected to the internet and therefore more vulnerable to attack than the cold wallet. You brought a very good point there, vulnerability towards attacks. Yeah. And um, in one of our episodes, Scams, Hacks and How to Avoid Them, we talked about how to avoid scams, but there was one distinction that we made in that particular episode. And it was when something is hacked in the crypto industry, it's usually an exchange and usually wallets on that particular exchange are accessed. Uh, that doesn't mean Bitcoin was hacked. That doesn't mean that a particular cryptocurrency was hacked. It just means that because it was not in stored in the safest way on an exchange that entire exchange was vulnerable to attack and exchanges to this day are vulnerable to attack because they're on the internet and because they're hot yeah to link it back to the hot and cold phenomenon yeah so this is really the first thing that you, you want to think of when when considering uh cryptocurrency wallets the whole hot and cold phenomenon Mo most likely you're going to have some portion of your funds on a hot wallet and some portion of your funds on a cold wallet depending for on your crypto strategy <laughs> totally yeah absolutely <laughs> awesome so let's get into cold storage options first and then we can get more into hot wallet options right so the most obvious and safest form of cold storage in uh, in my opinion is a usb stick that is um, not plugged into a computer uh, or a piece of paper that has your 12 word phrase on it. And we haven't really introduced the whole notion of a 12 word phrase yet. So we're going to just ask to hold on to that for a moment because we're going to explain that a little later. But basically, uh, your your wallet can be condensed onto a USB stick or 12 written words on a piece of paper. And that's a cold wallet because well, obviously that piece of paper is not connected to the internet. And as long as that USB stick is not plugged into a device that is connected to the internet, then it remains a cold wallet. Yeah. <laughs> if I was a listener and I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of someone who doesn't really know much about cryptocurrency just yet, that would be a very interesting thing to conceptualize and retain. So let's try to break it down a little bit further. You said 12, but also want to make sure that it, our audience knows it's between 12 and 24. It really depends on the kind of wallet that you download. And um, like Keegan said, having it on cold storage just means that it's not on the internet. To clarify here, your cryptocurrency is still on the internet. It's just the access to your cryptocurrency that is not on the internet. That's a really good point. The Your wallet actually doesn't store your cryptocurrency at all. It simply stores your keys and your keys are your access. It's like a gateway into um, withdrawing or accessing really your money in that is living on the internet. And that is your wallet. So depending on whether it is a hot wallet, which means it is connected to the internet, or it is a cold wallet, which means it is disconnected from the internet, your money, your cryptocurrency is still on the internet, but access to it is what um, is, is the main difference between a hot and a cold wallet. Yeah. So with the USB stick that you were talking about, it just, your like the key to that gateway into the internet is stored on that USB stick. And with the 12 word phrase that, that Keegan was alluding to earlier, 12 to 24 words, um, that is also an access to your money that is on the internet. 
And I, I think that it'd be, it'd be useful to make an analogy back to the financial paradigm that people are most used to right now. And what we can call a key is the magnetic strip on the back of each of your debit cards or credit cards, right? You have a, a number on the front and that represents your account. And then that magnetic strip essentially allows bank terminals to subtract an amount from your bank account that you've agreed upon. And the magnetic strip or your pin code. Right. Yeah. And so that pin code's in your head, but that magnetic strip is really the key. Um, without both, you, you can't withdraw funds. But the uh, the key itself, I would say, is the magnetic strip. Uh, and that is analogous to that wallet, that you that 12 word phrase or that USB stick with your wallet access on it is that magnetic strip that you're used to seeing on your credit cards and debit cards. The fact of the matter is that the cryptocurrency world uh, just works a little differently and it hasn't uh, improved upon the user experience of uh, wallets enough to make it like the traditional world of finance that we're all used to. Yeah, but the benefits in the other realm of what crypto offers outweighs the lack of um, user interface that it currently has. So yeah, that's why cryptocurrency is still a good technology. Right. Um, a better alternative. Okay, cool. So that's the distinction between hot wallets and cold wallets. Just to reiterate again, or summarize really, cold wallets is something that is disconnected from the internet. And a hot wallet is something that is connected to the internet. So we've talked about USB stick, 12 word phrase, 24 word, which is also can be known as a paper wallet because you're writing those words on a paper and that becomes your paper wallet, really as simple as that. So let's start talking more about the different kinds of wallets in the hot wallet section, which means the ones that are connected to the internet. Yeah, and the, the two ways that, or the, the single way that I'd like to think about this next section of wallets is who has access to the money who actually can move that money spend that money access that money and there's there's two ways to think about this again it's the, the custodial or non-custodial and the custodial wallets are the ones where you are giving up custodianship of your money so you're giving someone else the ability to act upon your funds or act upon your money. Therefore, they are the custodian or they are the essential owners at the end of the day of your money. And why don't you tell us a little bit about who are custodians in the crypto sphere? Exchanges are the majority of custodial wallets because that is one of the ways that you can acquire cryptocurrencies on an exchange. And um, cryptocurrency exchanges are really just the digital version of the crypto, not crypto, the currency exchanges that you see at airports. So when we were able to travel more freely than, <laughs> than uh, September of 2020, uh, before you went on your flight or even before your travel, uh, you could go to either your bank or let's just say you're at the airport, you could go to this currency conversion station or booth and you could say, hey, I'm, I'm traveling to the UK from Canada. This is my Canadian dollar. I won these many British pounds. And that that is an exchange. That is a currency exchange. And a cryptocurrency exchange is essentially the same thing, except most of them are digital. Most of them are accessible over the Internet. There are some OTC, which means over the counter 
um, exchanges, but there's really very few of them. And then there's crypto ATMs too, uh, where you can purchase a cryptocurrency by putting your card in. Uh, but again, the main um, area where, not, not area, the main platform where fiat currency or government currencies exchange for cryptocurrency are exchanges. And on these exchanges, you have an account, much like you have an account with your bank. And this account is your wallet, essentially. Yeah, the, the exchange kind of gives you a pseudo wallet of sorts. Yeah, it's not a, uh, a wallet that you have ultimate ownership over those funds. And the way that you know that is because uh, you don't have something called a private key. Basically, you don't have that magnetic strip on the back of your Visa card that allows you to spend that money directly uh, anywhere you want. Uh, and we're going to cover non-custodial wallets here in a second. But the analogy that you drew that I think works for most people is the exchanges is a lot. Most exchanges are a lot like your bank. They're a lot like a crypto bank in general. You deposit funds into the crypto bank digitally through in Canada. We have this e-transfer, but anywhere in the world, you can typically wire transfer funds onto an exchange they then represent your balance in canadian dollars or us dollars or british pound and then you're able to act upon that money so you're saying you're allowed to say okay i want to take this thousand canadian dollars and buy a thousand dollars worth of bitcoin after you have that bitcoin uh then you you can transfer it out of the exchange but while it's actually on the exchange that that exchange is the custodian of that bitcoin they essentially have the the keys that represent the ownership over it or the access over it. Yeah, and one way again to determine that is the 12 word phrase, 12 24 word phrase that we talked about uh, with respect to the cold wallets. You don't have access to that when it comes to an, a custodial wallet. Did I say custodial wallet twice? I meant to say cold wallet before. Oh. Oh, oh gosh. Okay. Uh, backing up <laughs> the, the 12 to 24 word phrase that we talked about earlier when we were talking about cold wallets. If you don't have that on an exchange wallet, that is proof that you don't have ownership over your funds because that's essentially the key to receiving your private keys. Um, and that's yeah, a little bit of a technical conversation, but th that 12 to 24 word phrase is evidence that you have control over your money. And I think that we should take a small segue right now to tell a short story about one experience that we had at a bank. And believe it or not, you're actually most used to a custodial service taking over your funds. That's what a bank does. So just a short preamble to the story, banks engage in something called fractional reserve banking. And what that means is if you deposit $100 into the bank, they can loan out some certain percentage of that money to other people and earn interest on that money. Essentially, banks use your money to make money and they give you a really, really small percent of interest uh, for having deposits with them, for storing your money with them. That's the savings account. That's a savings account, right. So fractional reserve banking lets banks act upon your funds without your permission, essentially, or you go in and you sign the terms and conditions and you essentially sign those papers, that's what you're signing. Those papers say that the bank is allowed to loan out that money on your behalf and you are in, in uh, receiving a small interest rate as, as compensation for the, letting them loan out that money. Uh, now, to the story. 
we went into our banking institution one day because we wanted to buy some Bitcoin. And we were going to transfer some Canadian dollars to a well-known Canadian exchange called Kraken. And we went in, we reached the teller, and uh, this person said, okay, like, you know, how much money do you want to move? Where am I sending it? So I handed her this piece of paper that said, okay, send it here. I want to send this much amount of money. And she said, okay, well, what, what is the purpose of this? What, what are you sending the funds to this location for? And I mistakenly said cryptocurrency. And no sooner did the words come out of my mouth, did the person hand me back my card and say, okay, we, we actually won't do this transaction for you. We don't, we don't do anything. We don't deal anything with cryptocurrency. And this was very strange to me because, well, I had the preconceived notion that I owned the money in my bank. I, I had the notion that I could act upon it in whatever way I see fit within reason. And one of the really strange things about this is cryptocurrency is completely legal as an activity or as a money to engage in in Canada. Yet this company, uh, bank. this bank, uh, had an internal policy that restricted me from moving my money or our money within the bank account to a destination that I saw fit. And that's a perfect example of a custodian not giving you access to your funds, them essentially denying you access or censoring the my ability to move money. And that's, uh, that's in a nutshell, the problem of custodial services. So yeah. that's, that's the story. And we can go into the opposite side, the, op the opposite paradigm that cryptocurrency has birthed. Uh, yeah, again, there's two aspects to this, because like you alluded to earlier, exchanges do act as banks, they act as crypto banks. So just because your money is in cryptocurrency on a cryptocurrency exchange in your exchange wallet does not mean that access to your cryptocurrency is 24-7 um, or you can withdraw out of that almost always. Depending on the exchange that you're with, you still sometimes have to wait up to 24 hours or even more again, depending on the exchange, to get that money out. And that is the, the main uh, drawback of having your cryptocurrency access on an exchange. I would say the other drawback is just the vulnerability. Like when you hear about a hack in the news or someone losing money with cryptocurrency, uh, 99 times out of 100, it's because an exchange was hacked. Because these exchanges, they hold money they hold cryptocurrency for hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of users. And so they're literally sitting on this honeypot, this wallet, this one wallet of massive amounts of cryptocurrency. And if attackers, well, I mean, attackers are looking around to see which is the most valuable wallets to try and attack. And if they get onto the servers or if they attack those exchanges properly, then they can unlock those funds, transfer them out, and then people lose their money. And the best example of this that we can point to, at least in Canada, is Quadriga CX. This was a cryptocurrency exchange that operated for a number of years in Canada. And people were depositing their money into it. And then one day the exchange shut down and no one had access to their funds. Right. It would be like if uh, TD Bank just imploded one day and was not able to uh, give out withdrawals when you went to the TD ATM and your bank card stopped working. That would be the equivalent. Well, it just doesn't just have to be TD. Um, all of the banks that um, practice fraction reserve banking, if every single person who took services from that particular bank account, if 
all of them went all at once to withdraw money from the bank, they wouldn't be able the bank wouldn't be able to supply its users with all of that money because it has been lent out um, in other investments. And that's no, to be fair, that is also how um, some exchanges practice. Right. Um, and that makes most business sense when it doesn't, when it isn't fair to the users is when um, more money is given out into, um, put out into loans and investments from the exchange when they're supposed to just be holding your money. And that's when the problem starts. Right. There's a safe limit. Like if I take $1 of the $100 and I loan that out to someone else, I can be pretty reasonably sure as an exchange that I'm going to be able to make good on that uh, on that dollar that I've loaned out to someone else. And, and you said if all users of an exchange or all users of a bank go to the bank at the same time, it's actually some sort of critical mass of people, right? And we saw this, this is called a bank run. The technical term for this happening is a bank run. And basically, fractional reserve banking is the bet against this happening. It is an unlikely event, but it happens most often in times of economic turmoil. We saw aspects of this or this occurrences of this happening in 2008 during the 2008 financial crash. We saw uh, this happening in the Great Depression in the end of the 1920s, early 1930s. There was simply not enough cash in the bank to make good on the withdrawal requests from the people that went to the bank and that's that's a real danger of people using centralized services uh, and this is a real danger of centralized services mismanaging funds yeah and this doesn't mean that all exchanges are bad or all banks are bad because that's a very blanket statement and right. uh, that's not what we're trying to convey uh, because it's not true all the, yeah all of this goes to say that when you have your money on an exchange you have it on an exchange you run a risk of having it on that exchange yeah and um, again it depends on your crypto strategy do you intend on lending that money out on an exchange do you intend on um, day trading or do you even intend on just trading in general having your money on an exchange that has a, a bot essentially that trades for you. All of those purposes, again, based on what your cryptocurrency strategy is, you need to you need to take that risk if that's what you intend to do with part of your cryptocurrency assets. But if you are a hold, holder, if you are playing the long game, if you have bought a bunch of cryptocurrency assets that you believe will appreciate in um, a number of years, and you you just want to wait for say five years, 10 years, until that that asset appreciates, then the best thing for you to do is make that cryptocurrency exchange happen on, on your exchange and then transfer all of those crypto assets to your non-custodial wallet, or even better, put it in cold storage because it's not only that, it's not only that you not have access um, to it, or you're not giving access to anybody on the internet to your crypto assets in that particular wallet. I'm definitely confusing our, <laughs> our audience with this very long rant, very long I don't long think you are. There. Okay. No, you know, you're, yeah, you nailed it. They, you brought in the term non-custodial wallet. Yes. And I think I can wrap this up uh, and, and introduce this term uh, as well. So a non-custodial wallet is literally just the opposite of a custodial wallet. Custodian Custodial wallets are wallets that are run by banks, or crypto exchanges, which are essentially crypto banks. A non-custodial wallet is a wallet that you control. 
a wallet that you have access to all of the keys. Uh, the way that you know whether or not you have a, a non-custodial wallet or a custodial wallet is whether or not you've written down 12 words, essentially 12 or 24 words, 12 to 24 words. And if you have done that, then you're working with a non-custodial wallet. And this is by far the safest way to store money that has basically ever existed. And that um, we're not even kidding a little bit with that. Cryptocurrency has invented the safest way to store money. It is in the form of these 12 random words. You lock that piece of paper up in a waterproof, fireproof safe, and then your money is really, really quite safe. And that's a non-custodial wallet. And yeah, so that <laughs> I think that that wraps it up for for reference back to the whole bank run phenomenon. It's impossible for the Bitcoin network to experience a bank run of any sorts. If you have your Bitcoin on a non-custodial wallet, you absolutely own those digits. Those digits are your own and it is the truest form of ownership that has ever existed, which is really quite nice for people who are in developed nations who are really worried about their banking institutions being corrupt or them going to the bank and not being able to withdraw that money. You, you look at your screen and you look at the balance in your bank account and you think, OK, I have that thousand dollars. And you totally expect that when you go to that ATM or when you go to the bank teller and say, I want to withdraw that or I want to move that. Well, you've got bank limits and you've got censorship based on their internal policies. And neither one of those things exist if you're using a non-custodial wallet. Non-custodial wallets do not care. They don't ask either of those questions. They don't say, hey, are you... Uh, using this to buy cryptocurrency, <laughs> they don't say, "Hey, uh, we don't have Her, that money on hand." Money. Yeah. Are you using this to buy government, government money? money? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the. I mean, those are the positives. That's that's basically it. Yeah. Well, non the the terms are so interesting because a non custodial wallet is where you are not giving custody of your money to anybody else which means you have complete custody of your money. And that's a non-custodial wallet. Yeah, I agree that the, <laughs> the cryptosphere has come up with the most complicated way to refer to these types of wallets. Yeah. yeah, and that has become mainstream. But well, you know, you just have to get confused with it once or twice. But <laughs> after you realize your confusion and uh, correct yourself, then you will remember it forever. I want you to just rewind a little bit. And once again, for our listeners, state what is a custodial wallet? What is a non-custodial wallet? Okay. Yeah. A custodial wallet is when you are giving custody of your funds to somebody else. This somebody else can be an exchange, for example. A non-custodial wallet is when you are not giving custody of your funds to anybody else. An exchange, for example, which means you have complete control over your funds. Awesome. So I think that's a ton of information. And the last thing that we want to weave into this episode is what is your crypto strategy and how do you know what kind of wallet works best for you? And you touched on this really well in uh, when you're talking about custodial wallets and the various ex uh, services that they offer you. For example, lending, trading, day trading, borrowing, borrowing, any one of those things require you to work with an exchange and take that that risk of having that, that money on the exchange. So 
Again, and, oh, sorry, I yeah, just wanted ahead. to insert. We we take that risk when we put our money in banking institutions anyway. Yes. Because we've experienced this firsthand where we didn't have complete access and control over where we wanted to move our money when we wanted to move our money. That's right. And I know that I have experienced this sometimes when I wanted to go over the limit, the e-transfer limit or the transfer limit uh, from a bank. I've had to physically go into the bank and explain to them what I wanted to do and like fill out paperwork and pay a fee to send it to a, a domestic location. But because it was over their amount that they could do via electric transfer, I had to go do that via wire transfer. And it took time, it cost money. Yeah, which is, I mean, if we're putting it bluntly and quite frankly, it's that's ridiculous in today's day and age. Yeah, technology definitely has not caught up in the financial institutions because the financial institutions are at a loss if they upgrade their technology. Right, they're they're making money on their inefficiencies, like the the fees that they charge for you to to send money overseas. Uh, that is a multi billion dollar industry, and what what incentive do they have to upgrade their systems? So like for one, they're way too complex right now, and for two, they're making money off of it, so it would affect their bottom line. So it, I mean, cryptocurrency does represent a real threat to, to banking <laughs> institutions, but I yeah. think that might be a different episode. We digressed. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to pitch in that we already run the risk of not having complete access to our money in our normal banking institutions. So um, that that risk still exists and persists through having your money on your cryptocurrency exchange. But the best thing to do is really figure out what you want to do with the amount of money that you have in in cryptocurrency, do you want to use it for everyday spending? Is it something that you want to use for a long-term investment? What is your crypto strategy? And and just to put another insert in here, this is what we do. Go full crypto, Keegan and I, this is what we help you determine is, okay, you, you are ready to buy cryptocurrency, but how are you going to go about it? Have you thought of what is the best way for you to put your money into crypto? Have you thought of what is the best may, uh, what, the best way to take your money out of crypto? Do you know what you're going to do when your money is in crypto? These are all very important questions when you decide to enter into the world of cryptocurrency. And this is why we're stressing so much on what is your crypto strategy, because it's really important to have one. If you don't, Keegan and I have personally <laughs> have enough stories of um, falling into fear of missing out, FOMO. Um, and there's a lot of stories on also leaving money in exchanges that, um, that then end up being hacked or closing down. Uh, I point to Keegan for everyone watching on our YouTube channel, because Keegan used to get paid on Quadriga CX, which is the exchange that completely shut down and locked in $190 million worth of people's money. Right. Yeah. I used to get paid in Bitcoin and have that deposited onto Quadriga. Luckily, I, I noticed some warning signs that prompted me to move all of the money that I had on Quadriga off of the exchange. And that's because I was aware of the risks. I was aware, OK, if this company implodes, whatever money that I have on, sitting on that platform is not going to be able to be accessed. And that was a, a real thing that I noticed and a real thing that I took action on, but only because I knew, right, only because I'd been in the crypto space for three years thus far and i could recognize these warning signs and i decided to act upon it and yeah so i would like to tell like a small story about getting into cryptocurrency for me and if you do don't educate yourself and you don't have a crypto strategy and again we can help you craft that if you don't have a crypto strategy though what what your, your experience is going to be like it's okay 
First things first, got to get some crypto and you'll spend a lot of time researching how exactly to do that. You'll finally get a hold of it somehow and you may have paid too much and you may have there's all sorts of things that can happen. Yeah, you can also get sucked into scams where they say they're going to 10x your money in a week. And that is too good to be true. And there's so many warning signs when you come across a scheme like that. But if you're not well versed, well versed in the crypto sphere, that can seem like something that is true. Because there has been stories of people 10xing their money during the bull run of 2017. But that is a once in a blue moon kind of occurrence. Right. Yeah. And so my experience was I acquired cryptocurrency and I had it deposited right to my non-custodial wallet because the person that I acquired it from essentially recommended that to me and told me that this is the right way to do things because X, Y, Z reason. And I was very fortunate to have that person walk me through. And that's essentially what we're offering people now. Your crypto strategy can be assisted by us and we can say, okay, look, you, you want to hold your crypto for five to 10 years? That sounds like you want a non-custodial wallet. And then there will be other people that say, I actually want to uh, take a thousand dollars. I want to chop it up in 10 pieces, buy 10 assets that I like the look of, and I want to day trade with them. And just determining that's what somebody <laughs> wants to do. That takes a while. That does take a while. Yeah. And that's in that case, non-custodial wallets will not work for you. You're going to have to have your money on a custodial exchange and which exchange do you choose yeah that's part of your crypto strategy yeah yeah exactly um for for those of you who are well versed in crypto kind of um but just want to get a little bit more knowledge to be well rounded in all of the fundamentals uh, we are also launching free cryptocurrency courses that just teach you the fundamentals of what's happening in crypto and that's coming out september 29th so a couple couple more weeks after this episode is launched, but September 29, 2020 is when all of these courses are launching and you can just go view them and watch them on our particular website. And then there's always the podcast that you can continue listening to because we bring a lot of interesting topics and talk about them over this particular channel of communication. So to summarize, we went over the different kinds of wallets that exist. And to put it really simply, there's a hot wallet and there's a cold wallet. Hot wallet is connected to the internet, whereas a cold wallet is completely disconnected from the internet. In the realm of cold wallets, you can either store your money on a USB stick. Well, I say store your money, but store access to your cryptocurrency on a USB stick. Or there's paper wallets as well, where you write that 24 word long phrase and that's access. That's your gateway into your money that is in cryptocurrency. And to clarify about the USB stick, Essentially, all you're doing is putting a .txt file, a text file, on that USB stick containing those 12 words. Yeah. That, that's essentially <laughs> your, your, your backup. If you choose to write them down on a piece of paper or if you choose to put them on a .txt file, it's, it's the same thing. More it's or funny less. that you're saying .txt. Why? <laughs> .text? Yeah. I'm, I, I just didn't like... want there to be any ambiguity there. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Text file. Um, cool. So, yeah. Cold wallets, USB, paper. Hot wallets, there's various different kinds. And the ones that we touched on were non-custodial and custodial. And again, to summarize, a custodial wallet is when you are giving custody of your funds to somebody else. And in this particular episode, we talked about exchanges at length. 
in a non-custodial wallet, you have access to your own money, which means you are not giving custody, non-custodial, you're not giving custody to anybody else. You have the sole custody to your funds. And we totally recognize the, the, <laughs> the complication in understanding this. But yeah. uh, rewind this segment <laughs> and listen to it uh, until you are, you know. Uh, Try explaining it to somebody else. That's the best way. That's a great Yeah, Non-custodial is when you have custody over your funds. Custodial is when you don't have custody over your funds. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, going over that again. Wonderful. So uh, stay tuned, everyone. And once again, if you're enjoying our content, don't forget to give us that five star review, as well as tell your friends and colleagues about it so they can learn about cryptocurrency as well. And um, and if you have a podcast topic that you would like to recommend, go to our website, gofullcrypto.com forward slash contact and just submit a form over there. Get in touch with us. Say hi. Um, we're always open to connecting with people all around the world. Ask us about your crypto strategy. Yeah, that's true. Thanks, Keegan. That's yeah. a good plug. All right. Well, stay tuned, everyone, and um, tune in next time. <laughs>